Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person and will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little Once even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple. Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Thank you, Keziah, for reading today's passage. What is worth the sacrifice? I have seen people work for hours to buy a brand name pair of shoes. Married couples work for years and sacrifice all kinds of pleasures in order to buy a home. Parents often sacrifice personal dreams to invest in their children's future. Others study for years living on very little in order to complete a degree. We make these sacrifices because we value the reward, a new pair of shoes, a home, happy children, a degree that opens doors, and so on. We make sacrifices for the things we value most. Now, imagine something with me. There's a people group in the rainforest jungle. Among the indigenous tribes, this group is the most feared. Their internal revenge killing and intertribal warfare is legendary. In fact, if they keep killing each other, they will probably face extinction. If Jesus asked us, would it be worth it to sacrifice our lives for them? What does Jesus consider to be worth the sacrifice? When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we often do not think of sacrifice. We're excited about what we're receiving, and truly we receive so much. A new relationship with the Father, Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit abiding in us, inner peace, power to live, power to not sin, the removal of shame, a new identity as sons and daughters of God, forgiveness of sin, freedom from guilt, our fears dispelled, victory over death, the sure promise of our transformation into Christ-likeness, eternal life, authority over the evil one, so much what the, the Apostle Paul calls the riches of our glorious inheritance. Sometimes we're surprised when we realize there's a price for following Jesus. We expect Jesus' presence in our lives to usher in complete wholeness and tranquility, but Jesus is a truth-teller. His words in Matthew 10 are hard words, but they are faithful words. He speaks the truth in love. What may it cost to follow Jesus? 
Listen to Jesus, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. This mission statement, this reason for his coming, is meant to shock us. I have not come is repeated three times in these verses. The sword is symbolic. We remember that Jesus rebuked those who took up actual swords to defend him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here the sword symbolizes the inevitable separation between those who believe in Christ and those who do not. A sword appears where peace is expected. Is Jesus not the Prince of Peace of Isaiah chapter 9? Was not his coming to earth the the dawn of peace on earth? Are the disciples not to bless the homes they enter with, with peace? Did Jesus not say, blessed are the peacemakers? So why not peace, but a sword? According to Jesus, his way of peace will provoke conflict for Jesus and for his followers. It will bring strife and and division. Jesus will be the dividing line between his disciples and the rest of the world. It is interesting how generic conversations about God and, and wholesome values with people of other persuasions do not separate. But as soon as we mention Jesus, everything changes. Following Jesus separates. As his followers, though we receive his peace with joy, we receive it in the midst of opposition. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Later, Peter, Jesus' disciple, will write to the church in Asia Minor, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Where will this lack of peace be evident? Jesus goes on in Matthew ten thirty-five: For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. This hurts. To set against is to set at odds. The pain will not only be felt through opposition from outsiders, but even from one's closest relatives. Loyalty to Jesus and his mission will sometimes strain and even break family relationships. Jesus experienced this in his own family. In Mark chapter 3, just after Jesus has called the 12 disciples to himself and appointed them to be apostles, the crowds gather around him in Capernaum. But not only the crowds gather, his family also comes to seize him. Mark chapter 3, verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. They came to take control of him because they had come to the conclusion that he had gone mad. Before his siblings acknowledged his true identity, they did not believe in him. This was hard for Jesus. It was hard for his followers. First century Jews placed very high value on family. So much so that attachment to family often superseded commitment to God. In these verses, Jesus tells his disciples that their own families may no longer be safe. Following Jesus is often tested at home. Why does Jesus say these words? Well, because he knows what will happen and he must prepare his disciples for the challenges they will face. 
What Jesus outlines in these verses has been the story of Jesus' followers throughout the history of the church. This opposition is especially evident in cultures where allegiance to Jesus brings shame on the family. We see this where other world religions dominate. We also see it under totalitarian regimes where faith in Jesus endangers the family. Even in the more liberal West, followers of Jesus have been disowned and disinherited by their families. The shaming takes different forms. In North Africa, new believers are literally ostracized by their Muslim families and the surrounding community. They're considered dead. In Thailand, new believers do not experience outright persecution, but Buddhist villagers avoid their fruit stands. In North America, new believers are ridiculed. They're sometimes not invited to parties. Sometimes they are not welcome at family gatherings. They are not included because Jesus is rejected. As Jesus said earlier in this message, Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. This reality highlights why the unity, love, and loyalty of the church family is so critical, as we'll see in verses 40 to 42 of this chapter. But here, Jesus does not soften his message. In fact, he goes deeper. This is verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Not worthy of me means does not have what it takes to follow me. One either receives Jesus or rejects him. There's no middle ground. Jesus asks for unqualified commitment. Following Jesus demands supreme allegiance. Jesus does instruct his disciples to love their spouses, families, friends, and even their enemies. But they must love Jesus supremely above all others. This repeats what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, verse 33. Spouses must be honored, and parents must be honored, but Jesus must be honored above all others. The central point of this paragraph, then, is that love of God and his kingdom must take precedence over every other human relationship. And when this allegiance threatens to strain family relationships, we must remain committed to Jesus. Now, if our allegiance to Jesus might bring a strife and division to our lives, why would we surrender to Jesus completely? Because Jesus is good. He's steadfast in his love, faithful, righteous, holy, just. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. He abides in us by his Spirit. He has counsel and wisdom and discernment. He's our shepherd, Savior, Lord, guide. He is the only one with the words of life. That's why. Why would we not surrender now? Jesus explains why we might not surrender now in the following verses. Look at verse 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What does it mean to take our cross? It does not mean to put up with some awkward, difficult, or tragic situation in life. Sometimes we will refer to a difficult marriage or, or strained work relationship as our cross. 
Sometimes we will refer to illness or financial ruin as our cross to bear. This is not what Jesus is saying in this verse. The cross is a shocking metaphor. It vividly calls to mind shame and pain. It was the most barbaric form of execution, and it also carried the stigma of social disgrace. To have a family member crucified was the ultimate shame. It drew universal scorn and mockery. Jesus then holds out before any worthy disciple the prospect of a savage death and public disgrace. To take up one's cross is to die to self-will, no matter the cost. A disciple signs away all rights to a quiet life of self-determination. In this sense, every disciple of Jesus bears the same cross. We are all called to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer so aptly wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Earlier, I asked you to imagine a people group in the rainforest jungle on the brink of extinction. If Jesus asked us to look at them with his compassion, as sheep without a shepherd, people who are harassed and helpless, would we be willing to make a sacrifice? Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, and Roger Udarian felt called by God to carry the message of the cross to such a people, the Wadani people of the Amazon River Basin in Ecuador. The Incas called them the Auca, the naked savages. Why? The Wadani lived by the spear. In fact, they were notorious for their revenge spearing and intertribal warfare. Extensive genealogical research revealed that six of ten deaths among the Wadani were homicides. They believed that if anyone infringed on their autonomy, they should kill. They had no method for resolving conflict, no concept of denying themselves for the good of the group. Children grew up believing they would either spear and live or be speared and die. So should they be left to kill each other? In Ecuador, the Wadani were considered the lowest of the low. Five North American missionaries decided to go and see. Seeing, they received Jesus' heart of compassion. They began to exchange gifts with the Wadani. When they believed it was possible to make a peaceful face-to-face contact, they determined that they would not attack the Wadani, even if they were attacked, because they were ready for heaven and the Wadani were not. On a riverbank, deep in the Amazonian, Amazonian jungle, the Wadani speared all five. It was January 8, 1956. They left five widows and their small children. Was it worth it? Following Jesus demands death to self. What an unpopular message. Following Jesus demands death to self-interest and a complete surrender to God's will. That is what it costs. Why would Jesus say something so difficult? Because any other presentation of the gospel is a false gospel. It is a dead gospel leading to death. The only way to life is through our death. And Jesus is worth the sacrifice. That is why Jesus says this in verse 39, whoever finds life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The paradox could not be starker. Those who lose their life, whether in self-denial or martyrdom, will find it in the age to come. Those who preserve their life now by living for themselves and refusing to surrender to Jesus lose it in the age to come. These are the most important words you will ever hear. Why? 
Your eternal destiny rests on your acceptance or rejection of them. We die to ourselves to find the life that will never be lost, true life in Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this, Such grace is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. The five North American missionaries left their widowed wives and small children. Within a few months, Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint were contacted by a few Wadani women who encouraged them to live with their tribe in the jungle. What should they do? Would they also be speared? Jim Elliot, Elizabeth's husband, had famously penned these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The two women went. Over a number of months, the Wadani received the message of Jesus, the words of the Prince of Peace. And within a matter of months, one anthropologist noted, generations of revenge killing had miraculously come to an end. Min Kai, one of the men who speared the five missionaries, later commented, we acted badly, badly, until they brought us God's carvings. Now we walk his trail. By walking the trail of Jesus, they put an end to their spearing. Why? Because the trail of Jesus led them to the cross. And here is the greatest evidence of their transformation. Tonai, a Wadani missionary, gave his life for the gospel in 1970, 14 years later. Instead of spearing, he took the spear for Jesus. He was simply following the way of the first disciples of Jesus. The first disciples left family, home, and employment to follow Jesus. They were rejected by their own people. They made sacrifices out of love for Jesus and his church. Many of them suffered martyrdom for the advance of the kingdom in their generation. And this has been the history of the church for 2,000 years. And this reality highlights the importance of the following verses. Verse 40 of chapter 10. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus reiterates that his disciples carry his authority, his message and power. But those carrying his authority also share in his suffering, and they often need care. Those who welcome Jesus' followers welcome Jesus and his Father. Jeremias wrote, God himself enters houses with Jesus' messengers. What a statement. What a blessing. To welcome is to offer food and shelter, a warm fire, a hug to Jesus' disciples. By blessing prophets, righteous people, and little ones, we open ourselves to the blessings they are receiving. As hosts, we share in the reward God gives his disciples. That is, eternal life. Some think the three designations descend in order of prominence. So prophets, then righteous men, and then these little ones. This is probably not the correct reading because there are no great ones among Jesus' disciples. Remember the conversation between Jesus and the mother of James and John. She wanted places of prominence for her two sons in the kingdom of, of heaven. And Jesus said, if you want to be first, be a slave. 
prophets, well, they are simply those who speak forth God's word. All those sent by Jesus with his words are prophets. Righteous person is a generic term for one who has the righteousness of the kingdom that comes from obeying Jesus. All of Jesus' disciples are righteous ones. And all of Jesus' disciples are little ones. The little ones are the persecuted, hated witnesses of chapter 10, including all prophets and righteous men and women who have sacrificed for the kingdom. Jesus says in verse 42, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is the disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Giving a cup of cold water, the least that hospitality demanded, to the least of Jesus' disciples, just because he or she is the disciple, will not go unrewarded. And these rewards are eternal. They will never be lost. Following Jesus comes with rewards that cannot be lost. We see examples of this hospitality in the New Testament. John, the disciple of Jesus who wanted a place of prominence in Jesus' kingdom, later wrote to Gaius, uh, Third John, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Gaius was welcoming the little ones of Jesus. The five North American wives who were left without their husbands, they were little ones. Their small children were left without fathers. They were little ones. They were cared for by their church families in North America. The five wives also continued to be family to their new brothers and sisters among the Wadani. Years later, Minkai, the Wadani who had speared and killed Jim Elliot, had the opportunity to visit the United States. He made a few observations. First, he said, North Americans are very hospitable. You just drive up to their window and they serve you hot food. <laughs> Second, he said, North Americans are overweight because they don't have to walk. The trail moves by itself. He was referring to escalators at airports. Being family to one another can be a lot of fun. Years later, Stephanie Saint, the daughter of Nate Saint, one of the five who was killed, she was completing high school in the States. She wanted to be baptized by people who were important to her in her spiritual journey. She chose to be baptized in the river, at the very spot where her father had been speared. Her mother was there. And standing with her in the water were also the men who had speared her father when she was a young girl. The Wadani Jesus Trail followers were her beloved family. We're called to be family. I've observed beautiful examples of Jesus' little ones being cared for at Willingdon. Newcomers to Canada being cared for by ILM fellowship groups. Those in the hospital being cared for by life groups, care ministries, and all of its volunteer servants. It is in the moment of need that we often discover how good it is to be part of the church family. In the new year, we will do a whole series about what it means to be family. Following Jesus demands that we be family. These verses come with a hard word, but a true word. Jesus speaks truth in love. His disciples may be rejected because of him. If his followers do not die to themselves, they will not have what it 
takes to follow him. But what he gives them is a treasure worth more than all the treasures of the world. Life in its fullness, the presence of his spirit, life eternal, the church family, the rewards that cannot be lost. Jesus is worth the sacrifice. I'll leave you with some questions for reflection, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. When Jesus gave his life, he said we were worth the sacrifice. Before his death, during his last supper with his disciples, Jesus took a piece of bread and a cup of wine. The bread represented his body, which was about to be broken, tortured, and humiliated on a Roman cross the following day. The cup represented his blood, which would be shed for us. It was the only way our evil thoughts, desires, and actions could be completely forgiven. His own sacrificial death was the only thing powerful and righteous enough to forgive all our guilt, remove all our shame, and conquer all our fear. Jesus considered us to be worth the sacrifice. By taking the bread and the cup, we declare that we need and receive what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We receive forgiveness of sin, new relationship with the Father, and the abundant eternal life that Jesus desires for us to have. We say we will die to self, take up our cross, and follow him in every area of our lives. Let's take a moment for self-reflection before we participate. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes these words, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread, symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. Let's participate together. Paul continues in verse 25, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ shed for us. Let's participate together. Jesus, we are humbled by your sacrifice on our behalf. Father, it was out of love for us that you sent your son, Jesus. And Jesus, it was because of your love for us that you came to earth, you emptied yourself, and you were obedient to the Father right to the cross, and you took all of our sin upon yourself. 
And so we thank you. We will never be able to thank you enough for the freedom from guilt that we experience, the forgiveness of sin that we have received, to have our shame removed, our fears dispelled, to know you, Father, as Father, to be able to enter your presence and pray and know that we are heard, to have your Spirit abiding in us, to receive power to live, counsel and wisdom and discernment along the way, and to live with the hope of life eternal with you. We have received so much. And so, Lord, may we freely give out of that which we have received. May we die to ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow you, and do that which you call us to do. Because you, Jesus, are worth the sacrifice. Jesus, you are worth the sacrifice. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, he ends this passage in this way, in verse 26. For as often you eat this bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because of Jesus, we are forever changed. And we look forward to the day when we will see him face to face. And we, on that day, will be transformed into his likeness and be with him forever. That is our sure hope. And so now I leave you with a blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. God bless you.